Good morning, everyone. Um, no matter how many times I stand up here, it's always kind of frightening. I get butterflies in my tummy, which for me is a bit of a double whammy because I have a butterfly phobia. Um, but I was listening to a, a preach by Francis Chan the other day, and he was um, talking about the fear of, of Jesus versus the fear of man. And that kind of put it into perspective for me because, you know, we fear Jesus because he is the almighty God. And, you know, standing up here, sharing what God has put on my heart, if I don't do it, I have God to face. If I do do it and I offend you, what are you going to do? Email me? <laughs> that was Francis Chan that said that, not me. I'd love to claim it as my own. Um, so... I'm probably going to be a little bit offensive today because I'm talking about Jesus is not nice. Um, what does the word nice mean? What does it make you think of? Pleasant, agreeable, acceptable. It's often used to describe people who are people pleasers. You know, the not boat rockers. When I was a teacher, we would ban the word nice from essay writing because it was declared as being a weak word. If you're a, a guy out there and a girl tells you that you are nice, then it makes you cringe, doesn't it? It makes your toes curl, because you know that you've just been relegated to the friend's bench. <laughs> Jesus is at the heart of revival. The Holy Spirit is zealous in his role to shine the light on Jesus to increase our desire for Christ, to reveal Christ in scripture, to empower us to receive Christ and to impart Christ even as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. A revival without Jesus at the center is just not real. George Bernard Shaw, who's a famous playwright said, God created man in his image and then man returned the favor. Do we have a right perspective of Jesus? Do we see Jesus as this nice, smiley guy that you know hugs little children, that maybe pats the odd sheep? We know that he loved us so much that he was prepared to die for us, to pay the price for our sin. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing more important, there's nothing of greater importance than receiving the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than the grace of our salvation. The Apostle Paul proclaims, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yet for so many of us, it stops here. Jesus is our saviour. We've that imprinted on our hearts, that image of Jesus when he died on the cross for us. That sacrifice that he made for us. This sinless, beautiful, compassionate man. He loved me so much that he died for me. He took my sin and he took my shame. Jesus is my friend and my protector. 
but he's so much more. His grace extends far beyond him just being our saviour. I could talk about so many of his attributes, the greatest one being love. If I spent the rest of my life just preaching to you about Jesus, I still would only have scratched the surface of who he is. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to do that now, but I am going to share just three things. Three things that we need to increase our perspective on as we push into revival. So we're going to look at John 1, verses 1 to 5. If you want to get that in your Bibles. This first point is don't underestimate his provision. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John knew that we understand Jesus better when we start to understand him from the right place, from before creation, from in eternity. To understand Jesus, we need to start by understanding the relationship that he had with Father God before the world began. And this relationship is central to the revelation of the gospel message central to who Jesus claimed to be and why Jesus said and did the things that he did. The very first verse establishes his personal distinctiveness. And yet it also establishes his oneness with God. There with him before the beginning of time. So to bring about revival, we must again set our hearts on Jesus. We must set our hearts and our minds on him. We must recognize our desperate need for him. I loved where worship took us this morning. It took us to that place of getting back to recognizing without him, we are nothing. We need to let go of our rose-tinted glasses and recognize who he is, all that he is, and that we need him. And as we're called to step out in obedience in a battleground, not in a playground, we need to recognize Jesus. John talks about Jesus, the provider, in his seven I am statements, Jehovah Jireh. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and you are the branches. It's because of who he is that he can say these things. He is the word, and the word is God. And he was there before the creation of time. Jesus is all we need. He need, need, knows all our needs and he meets all our needs. 
Jesus came so that we might have life and have life in abundance. He makes provision for us that is beyond all we can ask or ever imagine. And it's time to ask ourselves, where do we get our needs met? Do we get our needs met in money, in status, in things? Or do we find all that we need in Jesus? My second point is don't underestimate his power. And we're going to look at this for this in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. It talks about the story of Jesus calming the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and he rebuked the winds and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. Then the, white, the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he says to the disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? We can be fooled into painting a weak picture of Jesus, seeing him as sweet, as nice the Lamb of God, but as well as the Lamb of God, he is also the Lion of Judah. He is so powerful that even the storms obey him. In this story, the bit that I often miss is that Jesus took them into the storm. He would have been aware of the weather conditions he would have known that the Sea of Galilee was unpredictable and it could turn dangerously, dangerous quickly. And yet Jesus took the disciples into the storm. And you might wonder, why would he do this? But actually, why would he not? You see, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he had all the power of heaven and earth at his disposal. He knew that he had dominion over all things. Jesus could rebuke the storm and it would stop. He could calm the sea by speaking to it. And if the disciples didn't know who Jesus was before, they knew it then. The name of Jesus was glorified and their faith was increased, just as they declared, who is it that even the waves obey him? It says in the passage that they were terrified. They were terrified because they recognized who Jesus was. They had that revelation, that penny drop moment. This is him. This is our Lord our saviour, our God. This is Jesus. This is his power, his might, his authority, his boldness, and his confidence. 
This is the same Jesus that comes and rebukes religious leaders, telling them they're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but containing dead bones on the inside. This isn't nice Jesus. This is the Jesus that tells the rich that they can't serve two masters. Seek first my kingdom. This is the same Jesus who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and yet still managed to resist temptation. I miss out one meal and I feel like I'm sacrificing. This is the same Jesus who demons shudder at. Even they know who Jesus is. This is the same Jesus who turns over the tables in the temple as people were changing money and selling doves, declaring, my house shall be a house of prayer. He was outrageous. He was bold. He was powerful, but he wasn't always nice. This is the same Jesus who heals, who resurrects people from the dead, who hangs out with undesirables. He sets people free, stands up to bullies and hypocrites. He willingly sacrifices his life and triumphs over death. This is our Jesus church. This is our Jesus. What can he not do? We sing, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop our Lord? But this is also the same Jesus that on the day of judgment will separate the wheat from the chaff and many who think they know him will be lost. This is a Jesus that the Bible tells us to fear. The fear of the Lord is our strength. So who do we fear most, God or man? We are called to represent Jesus, or Richard keeps talking about representing Jesus. How many of us have times when we avoided doing this for fear of being rejected, fear of looking foolish, fear of offending. Jesus is offensive. He said some outrageous things. He made some outrageous claims. And the thing is, when we understand the power of Jesus, when we understand that that same power that Jesus was given has been given to us, all that authority, all that power over heaven, which means we are called to do as he's done. And that's sometimes a struggle. We struggle with telling people about Jesus in case it offends them. We think that it might ruffle some feathers. Telling people that without Jesus, they're destined to spend eternity in darkness apart from God is just not really a polite thing to do. Hey, we love being polite. I mean, we are the sort of people that when we bump into people, we apologize. To an unbelieving world, the gospel just doesn't make sense. Because many people want to believe that they're good enough. But the gospel message offends because it says that no one's good enough. And the only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus warned us that sharing the gospel wasn't going to be easy. 
It says in John 15, 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed me, my teaching, they will obey yours also. The gospel is offensive, but we are called to share it with humility, with compassion, and with love. And then my third point is, don't underestimate his holiness. And for that, I'm going to go to Revelations 1, verses 12 to 17. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fires. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, and I, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. This description speaks of a high priest, the authority of Christ, his deity, his lordship. This is the Jesus who sits today at the right hand of God and who one of these days will ride out of heaven. He is the glorious, pure, powerful, sovereign Lord, our great high priest, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the glory of the church who's at work among us today. Often you hear people say, when I meet Jesus, I'm going to ask him, why did you let this happen? Or when I meet Jesus, I'm going to tell him, when you did that, I didn't really like that. What? Really? What will you ask him? What will you tell him? I think the answer is nothing. You'll tell him nothing because you will be lying face down. You'll be lying face down at his feet with all the rest of us. Because when you are faced with his holiness and your sinfulness, all you'll be able to utter is holy, holy, holy Lord. Do we really believe that when faced with the Son of God, the Adonai, in all his splendor, with his legions of angels around him, that we're going to saunter up to him, pop our arm around him, and go, oh, Jesus, I just wanted to say to you, no, we are going to fall at our feet. We'll fall face down. We sang that song earlier on, about him returning with his robes of white and the blazing sun shall pierce the night. And it talked about gazing transfixed into his face. But even that is not true. When we see his brilliance, we will get down on our knees. 
because it will shine a light on our sin. There will come a day when you're standing in front of Jesus with all his light, his blazing fire, his voice like rushing waters, confronted by his holiness. Our Jesus who is set apart. I remember when I first became a Christian, I had somebody praying for me and I got a revelation of God's holiness. Just a glimpse. I remember as she was praying, I saw this kind of bright, dazzling light. It was overwhelming. It was really scary. And I, I just kind of like closed my eyes and head down. It was, it was just overwhelming. And that was just a glimpse of God's glory. As humans, we have this exalted sense of self. We esteem ourselves higher than others often because we consider ourselves clever or powerful or rich or self-made. And yet, outside of Christ, we are nothing. We cannot even take a single breath without Christ. Nothing exists, can exist, outside of Jesus. Jesus will return again. And this is who we'll see. We'll see eyes like blazing fire, feet like bronze, glowing in a furnace, voice like rushing water, a sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth, a face that shines with all the brilliance of the sun. This is who we'll be, we'll be judged by. This is who we'll be held to account by for all that we've done, all that we've not done, how we've used our talents and resources that he has given us. Jesus, who is set apart, will return and either say, well done, good and faithful servant, and with all my heart, I hope that's what he says to me. Or else he'll say, I never knew you, depart from me. The truth is, if we let Jesus dwell in our hearts, if we have the faith in the one God sent, then we should be pursuing him with all our hearts. As we prepare for revival, we need to clean the inside of the cup. Matthew 25, verse 26 says, Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Revival is held back by God's people when we refuse to get right with him. How can the Spirit of God freely work when our hearts are preoccupied by other things? David understood this when he sought the Lord's cleansing and restoration. In Psalm 51.10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He knew that where there was sin, where there was unforgiveness, Wherever there was division among God's people, pride, selfishness, self-interest, that holiness cannot dwell. In recognizing his holiness, our response should be submission. It should be to bow down. It should be to repent. It should be to declare that he is Lord in this place and Lord in our lives. It's interesting to hear some of the prophetic that's coming out of the church at the moment. 
God has promised a revival, but he's telling his people loud and clear, tidy up your house, clean the inside of the cup. I'm just going to ask Ralph to come up and join me now. He's going to share something that God's been speaking to him about, which I think just emphasizes this. This came out of the the prayer week. So on Tuesday morning at the prayer session, David Colton read an extract from David Campbell's book about the Hebridean revival. Think again of those people in the Hebrides, how they longed and how they prayed, and how they waited and how they cried. Oh God, rend the heavens and come down. And all the time God was handling them. All the time God was dealing with them. And the process of cleansing went on until the moment came when angels and archangels looking over the battlements of glory cried, God, the vessels are clean. The miracle can happen now. I believe that with all my heart, it is the deep conviction of my soul that they are ever gazing over the battlements of glory and waiting for a prepared people. It is one thing to shout it. It is one thing to sing it. It is one thing to seek, to talk about revival. But give me a people on their faces, seeking to be rightly related with God. And when that happens, we will soon know the impact of God realization in our country. This stirred a deep longing in me to find out about this revival. So I got the book, I've read it, it's filled me with a deep desire to get right with God and to cry out to him every morning that he is a covenant God and to ask that my hands and my heart be cleansed by his spirit, that I'm not moving from my morning prayer unless he equips and fills me afresh. If we are his people, can seek his holiness and genuinely desire to submit and surrender to him, then he can start a work within us. This both excites and scares me as I come face to face with the sin that ensnares me, and I know my desperate need for repentance and filling with his spirit. One other observation made by David Campbell was that God revives those who know him first. And as a result of this conviction and a sense of his presence descend upon those who are lost. O Lord, my cry to you is come, Lord Jesus, come. Let your kingdom break out. Forgive me, Lord. I need more of you in my life, more of you in my heart. I surrender to you. We also have um, Belinda Ekupan, who's not here today, but she had something similar. She had something around kind of seeds being sown in preparation and how we need to sow them in good soil. We need to make sure that the, the soil that is there is free from anything that can harm, that can choke, that can prevent growth. And that's what we need to do. I just want to get you to stand and I'm going to invite the band back up. If you close your eyes, we're going to respond to what we've heard. I think one of the things that really hit me out of 
what Ralph shared, how they longed, how they prayed, how they waited, how they cried. Oh God, rend the heavens come down. Do we long? Do we wait? Do we cry out for the heavens to come down? Do we cry out for Jesus? Do we cry out for Jesus to reveal the rubbish and the sin in our lives? Her only fitting response to this is to put Jesus back in the center, to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior. We don't stand in the presence of Jesus, we fall face down. Father God, we just repent of not having you in our center. Father, we repent of, of not crying out, of not waiting and praying and longing for your presence. God, we want to be in that place where you are just above all things, that you're above all the busyness, that you're above all the, uh, the things that get in the way, that you're above all the things on our agenda. Father, when we think of all that we have ahead of us this week, we think of all the things that we've put above you. Lord God, we just repent. We repent and we get on our knees, Lord God, and we ask for your forgiveness. Father, let your glory come in this place. Let your glory come. Lord, you, we want you to clean the cup from the inside. We don't want to be a people that looks good from the outside, but the inside is dirty and rotten and dead. We don't want to be a people where there's, there's division in our church. We don't want to be a people where we are holding unforgiveness against people. We don't want to be a people where our priorities are all wrong. I'm just going to call you to respond to that. And you can respond in any way that works for you. I can come forward to the front in a demonstration of a desire to put Jesus back at the center. You can get down on your knees and ask God to just put him back. Put Jesus back where he belongs. Forgive us for all the things that we put ahead of us. Or you can just stand where you are and speak to Jesus where you are. It genuinely doesn't matter. Band, I'm going to ask you to pray. And let's respond to him.